As we come now before the very word of God, if you'd like to read with me, I'll be here again this morning in Matthew chapter 4. We're nearing the end of the chapter here this morning. Matthew chapter 4. And before we read, would you please pray with me? Our great God and Father, would you help us in this time to follow you? to follow you with our ears, that we would listen, to follow you with our hearts, that we would believe, to follow you with our lives, that we would obey. Lord, we know that you are the living and true God. Would you work in us now by your Spirit? Open our eyes to see and our hearts to believe. Guide us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Matthew in chapter 4. We'll take up here this morning just a few verses here, beginning in verse 18. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, that is Jesus, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is the word of God. Now, we know that Jesus has recently, in this text, entered into a new season of ministry here. That is that the first four chapters of Matthew are focusing mainly on the preparation of Jesus and preparation for Jesus. But in the verse immediately preceding what we just read, there's been a pivot, which we talked about just two weeks ago, where there's a pivot not from the preparation of Jesus, now into the, the preaching of Jesus. That is now the focus for the next coming chapter. So it's interesting now that the first words that we, that we hear after we've made this pivot into Jesus' preaching is not a sermon. The first words we hear are not a sermon from Jesus. We hear Jesus calling his disciples. With the famous words here, you'll recognize them, maybe even learned a song about them when you were were kids. Uh, Follow me, and I will make you. No one knows the fishers of men. Okay, I, I don't know why I even started singing that. Know the line, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. So our question here this morning, the big question is, what does that look like? What does it look like to be fishers of men? Before we unpack that question, I want us to take a quick look at the actual scene here, because we need to to make a few clarifications, not to change the text, to understand it better, because the account here is fairly short. It's just a few sentences. What we have here are two 
two separate but very nearby occasions where Jesus encounters a, a set of brothers who are in the middle of just doing their job fishing. And Jesus calls these brothers to follow him, and they go without even a question or a comment. Now, to clarify some of this, these guys mentioned in this text had met Jesus before this. So Matthew doesn't uh, record this event just because, well, you can't record everything. There's limits to space and purpose, and, and you can't write down everything that Jesus did all the time. But in John's gospel, in the first chapter of John, we hear that there are events that happen before this scene. So Andrew and Simon Peter, and there's a few other guys who are unnamed, probably John the Apostle here, uh, who are hearing John the Baptist before he's arrested. And John, John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God. And that's a purposefully striking statement. And incites some curiosity, at least, in them. And so hearing that, these guys begin to follow Jesus, this Lamb of God, and they end up staying with him for some amount of time. We don't know exactly what happened in all the details there. We don't even know what happened between that time and now. But we do know that here, Jesus is now passing by them again, near where they're working by the sea. And so they already know who he is by this point, at least something about him. So Jesus to them is not just a random stranger. This is not a moment where a guy pulls up in a van and says, get in. They're aware of him. So let's clarify that. We also know that fishing, at least during this day in this context, fishing is good business. You know, there were, there were several of these guys, maybe even all four of them, I would uh, uh, guess that, but that's a bit of a guess. At least some of them were from a nearby fishing town by the sea called Bethsaida. Some of these guys were from the hometown of Bethsaida. And one scholar translates the word Bethsaida into the English fish town. Bethsaida means fish town. So fishing is likely a major, if not the main source of commerce in this region. So it's sort of like the way that in our area, if you go to Hannibal, the one thing we're known for if you go anywhere, right, is Mark Twain. Anywhere you go, you can be on the opposite side of the globe. Oh, Hannibal, Mark Twain. You go to this area, you know, all the signs everywhere wouldn't have Mark Twain's face. They would probably have pictures of sardines. You know, that's, this is their claim to fame. So for these men, it's not just part of the culture in general, it's part of their culture. They have a family-owned fishing business. You hear the brothers involved, the dads involved. In Mark's account of the events, it even says that they had several hired workers with them, so the, and the workers stayed behind when some of these guys uh, opted to follow Jesus. So this is not to say that these guys were wealthy, you know, they're not the Bill Gates of Fishtown, whatever that would be. Nor is it to say that this job is cushy. You know, professional fishing is a sweaty, smelly job. But they're also not just a bunch of poor, helpless fishermen trying to make it either. At this point, these guys were doing pretty well for themselves before they dropped it 
and left to follow Jesus. Last thing I'll clarify here. This is the only time in the scriptures where Jesus calls people specifically to be fishers of men. It's the only time where he calls, uses kind of that phrase, fishers of men. And he uses it here because he's talking to literal fishermen who are in the act of fishing as he speaks to them. But the, we get what the larger concept of what he's gunning for here is. This isn't, this call at least, to be fishers of men, even though the phrase is unique, the call isn't unique to just them. We know that there's just four guys mentioned here, but there were at least eight others. There were 12 apostles that Jesus has given a, a unique role. And Jesus also calls, invites, beckons loads and loads and loads of people to come follow him as disciples. If you look in just the very next text, which I suppose we'll get to next week, there are people from all over the area of Syria that have come to hear Jesus. And we often hear Jesus call anyone who's willing, come, come follow me. We hear the broadness of the call later in, in Matthew, in chapter, well, let me find it. Matthew chapter, chapter 16, verse, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, listen, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus isn't just talking to a select few here. If anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow. Anyone, that is you, me, anyone would come, let him follow. So this call to come follow Jesus isn't just a call to actually follow Jesus around and, and learn a bunch of cool stuff and maybe see a miracle or two along the way. The direction of the whole book of Matthew is building to this whole idea where we hear Jesus' final words at the very end of the whole book where he says, go and make disciples of all men. In other words, we are all to be fishers of men if we follow Jesus. We want that to be true of us. So now we come to our big question. What does that actually look like? How are we to be fishers of men to bring others in to know Jesus? We know Jesus is using a metaphor here and talking about the the, the fisherman. It's not the only metaphor he uses for this sort of thing. Sometimes he talks about people as shepherds who are gathering lost sheep. Sometimes he talks about us as laborers who are gathering in the harvest. So when he says that we're like fishermen, I don't want to press that metaphor too far. It's not the only thing he uses. But I also don't want to make too little of that metaphor either. There are parallels specifically here in what it means to be fishers of men that we want to learn from. I want us to look then at the rest of our time at three things we can pull from this. I'd call them three points, but since we're on a fishing theme, let's call them sails, yes? We'll hoist up three sails, and because I'm very sneaky, a sail has two sides. So three points each with two sides, so I'm really just sneaking in six things. If you were worried because you lost an hour of sleep that I have six points, 
don't worry, we'll be all right. But we're, go we're, we're going after now six things, three pairs about the way Jesus would make us into fishers of men. Let's look at the first of these sales. Jesus makes us into fishers of men now and later. That's the first sale. He makes us into fishers of men now and later. Let's look at those pieces one at a time. Now, when Jesus gives this call, come follow me, in both of these times in the text, there's one word that comes right after his call, and that word is immediately. Did you notice it as we read? He calls them, come follow me, and immediately they followed. Which means that we can immediately be counted as fishers of men as soon as we take one step to follow Jesus. Now, I may not be very skilled at being a fisher uh, of men immediately, but I can always be part of a useful crew, right? Even a literal boat, I can always be part of a crew, even if I don't really know very much about it. Someone can tell me how to pull this rope to hoist this sail, how to tug this net, hold this net. Even a child can do those sorts of things. So there are some people, some Christians who say, I don't know enough to share Jesus with people. And in a real sense, that is not true. Usually, that's just an excuse to hide behind our fear. If you really know Jesus, not just know about Jesus, but know Jesus, abide in Jesus, that is, that you know you're a sinner who is helpless apart from the grace of Jesus. If you've put faith and trust in Jesus to save you by his grace, if you have the Holy Spirit now from Jesus that now dwells in you, if that's true of you, you're a Christian, and you absolutely have enough right now to be a fisher of men. So what are you waiting for? Jesus is not calling people here or elsewhere to be captains of the ship. He just calls us to be fishers of men. He's calling you to say yes to following him and then to call others to do the same. And that can be true of you starting now. That's one side of the sale, but there's an opposite side of this same sale. That is, there's a component of this that's also later. You can hear the future aspect of this, even just in the way that Jesus speaks about it. Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That is something that will come along in some sense later. Anyone can be a fisherman now, and in some sense as we follow Jesus, but it takes time to learn from the master how to fish well. 
I mean, it, just in this second set of brothers, James and John, when we first meet them, virtually the only thing that we hear about them is that they're sitting there not just fishing, but mending their nets, it says. So that's not just that they were fixing the problems, although maybe that was part of it, but that they were preparing the boat for the next catch, getting ready for the next sail. And that takes some measure of knowledge and skill and experience. A real fisherman needs to learn how to prepare the boat, how to throw a line without getting your foot tangled in it so you don't get tossed overboard, how to weather a storm that might suddenly come out of the sea. Those skills take time to learn, and that's true of fishers of men, too. We can hear this later component, even in the way Jesus says, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. But the next text isn't the men fishing. If we were to read on, the next thing we see isn't Jesus sending out these fishers of men right away. The next text we see are Jesus teaching in the synagogue, Jesus proclaiming the gospel, Jesus healing. And these disciples are following Jesus to watch, to learn, to grow. They're not just to be over-eager to go out on their own and do it all themselves. In fact, the disciples are not even sent out to be fishers of men to actually do the work of fishing until chapter 10. There's quite a ways of preparation to go. They're sent with the same message that Jesus has, that, that they're to tell people that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that people are to repent and turn to God, but they need to be trained in how to do that then. So, so if they say, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand, and someone says, great, what does that mean? They, they won't go, uh, I don't know. Uh, let me go look that up in my book. We don't want them to just shrug. They need to grow, and that takes time. They're to be made fishers of men both now and later. That's the first sale. Let's move on to the second. The second sale of being fishers of men is we see components of broad and narrow. Broad and narrow. Let's look at the first part of that. There's an aspect of this that's broad. Yes, this is not just any type of fishing. They're casting nets, which I've not done myself, but I've you know, seen it enough in movies to know. You throw it out as wide as you can. This isn't just a hook and a line. That's what I'm used to. You cast, and you've got one little hook with a worm or some other uh, gross-smelling thing at the end of it, and you reel it in. That existed in their day, but that's not what we're talking about here. This is catching with nets. So when Jesus says, I'm going to make you fishers of men, he's not going to turn them into Captain Ahab, who's on the hunt for Moby Dick, just got one white whale that you really got to hit. This fishing is not about a fishing for a particular man. I will make you fishers of men and women. Men and women, broadly. We cast our nets wide because we do not assume that everyone's a Christian. In fact, many are not. Sometimes in smaller towns like ours, there's a, there's a presumption that in this area, you know, 
most of us are just nice people. There's a lot of people that go to church. Almost everybody believes in God. And, you know, even if that may be true to some extent, those things on their own do not make a person a Christian. A Christian is one who loves and trusts in Jesus, who puts faith in Jesus and seeks to follow after Jesus by his grace. That is, if Jesus called us to leave all that we've ever known and to come follow him, that we would go. And we don't do that to earn favor from God. We can't earn his grace. Grace is a gift. We do those things because Jesus is everything. So a person who claims to believe in Jesus, but it has little to no effect on the way that they live, that person is still a fish swimming way down deep in the deep blue sea. And they need to be brought up into the boat. A fisherman then does not have to determine which ones beforehand are, are really ready to be caught or not. You look ready, you look ready, I'm going to cast on my net for this. We just throw the net out broadly and draw in whatever is in the net. Jesus tells a parable about this later in Matthew's Gospel. In Matthew chapter 13, you can hear the broadness in it. Listen, Matthew chapter 13, verse 47, Jesus says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a sobering reality here. Words of Jesus, not even mine. But at least one thing we can pull from this is that we never know when a person is ready or not to meet Jesus. But we will never know if we don't at least cast the nets broadly to draw them in. So there's a component of this sail that's broad. There's also on the opposite side of it a component of this that is, that is narrow. So when we call being fishers of men broad, that the nets are broad, by this we do not mean that we do all of these things, you know, willy-nilly in a careless, erratic way, just kind of throwing things out no matter wherever they go. You know, skilled fishermen have a narrowed component. Skilled fishermen are well aware that there are more or less favorable times to fish, there are more or less favorable places to fish. You know, Fishtown is not in the middle of the Sahara Desert, for example. So there's a similar sort of wisdom from the Holy Spirit in narrowing our focus, not just about fishing, but being fishers of men. The sermon's not a place to kind of piece out all of what those narrow uh, pieces might look like. That takes some wisdom, and we can't get into all of that, but I will at least mention one example. Have you ever met someone who, 
who seems to always be trying to, to squeeze Jesus into the conversation. Do you know anyone like this? You know, you're, you're, you're at dinner, say, and, and you go, would you please pass the salt? And they say, well, you know, Jesus said, we're the salt of the earth. And they kind of use this as a, a way to sort of launch into a big sermon about Jesus, and in your head you're going, okay, that's great. I just, these lima beans need salt, you know? Folks like this think that we need to talk about Jesus, 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 Jesus. That, you know, we got to save people. We got to show that we're holy. We got to prove that we love. It's interesting to observe that not even Jesus talked about Jesus all the time. Don't get me wrong. Jesus is incredibly important more than anything else in life. But we also need to notice that Jesus spent time just healing people, just eating with people, just spending time alone even. So if we want to learn how to fish narrowly, we don't need to fill every little space you know, otherwise, Jesus will become something that is forced or false. You know, we'll turn him into sort of an advertisement, a sales pitch that we're really just trying to, to jam down people's throats, trying to get them to take the bait. That's not what it means to be a fisher of men. Following Jesus as a fisher of men calls for wisdom from the Spirit about how to fish both broadly and narrowly. That's our second sail. Third and final sail. This will take us home. Third sail. There's a component of being a fisher of men that is both active and passive. Active and passive. Let's look at the active part first. The call of Jesus here is an actual call. Follow me. Not that complex, at least in concept. Follow me. And the disciples didn't over-spiritualize this and carry on with their nets and going, oh yes, I'm following you in my heart. You know? Nor were they just sort of like puppets that sort of you know, unaware, sort of rose up and kind of got dragged along of this, you know. There's a clear, literal call to action here from Jesus. Get up and walk after me. And they did. They left their boats, their nets, their families even, to follow Jesus. They see this now as their new vocation. They think of themselves not as citizens of Fishtown, but as citizens of the kingdom of God. And in a lot of ways, they do the same sorts of actions that they've always done before. You know, no fisherman expects to wake up in the morning with a fish magically in his lap or laying in bed next to him. A fisherman gets up in the morning with the expe expectation, or at least the hope, of catching fish. You get up, you eat your breakfast, 
put on your gear, whatever that looks like. I'm sure there's some sort of rain boot or hat or something, whatever you need for the boat. You head out to the dock and you set sail to drop nets into the sea. That's the same now. The difference then is just what they've set their sights on. They are still just as active about this. Now they're just catching men, not fish. Now, to be clear, this active approach to being fishers of men does not mean, does not mean that everyone is called to full-time vocational ministry. You know, some people are. I am. <laughs> Maybe some of you are. Um, but there are still many Christians. In fact, most Christians are still some form of fishers of fish. That is, they still have their regular jobs, their regular lives. Their job is to fish, and at the same time, they also see themselves as fishers of men as well. They are active, intentional to want to bring people to Jesus. And that, mean, that activity means it's much more than just, oh, I'll share Jesus with someone if they ask me about it. That's not how fishing works. I don't just expect that they're going to come to me. I go fishing. We go to fish to watch the waters, to cast the nets, to pray to the Holy Spirit, to direct us to a person in whom he's working in their heart, and then to pursue those people actively by the grace and power of God. A fisher of men is active and passive. Active and passive. Let me clarify. By passive, I do not mean lazy or something that happens while I'm taking a nap or just throwing a bone to the introverts. Speaking as an introvert, I'm like, oh, this is stressing me out. I actually have to go out and talk to somebody about this. By passive, I mean this is not only done by us, it's done to us. We are passive receivers of an action that's done by another. You notice Jesus here says, follow me. That's active. It is. Follow me. But then he doesn't say, follow me and make yourself a fisher of men. He says, follow me and what? I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and watch what I will do. The actor here is Jesus, not just us. And it's his powerful work. The account here in Matthew is fairly sparse. There's not much detail, but Luke's account of this event is expanded, and we can see a little bit more of Jesus' power in it. This is in Luke chapter 5. Uh, let's see. Let me pick up in verse 4. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out in the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon said, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. In other words, come on, you know, we've been fishing all night, 
and tired, we've got nothing, we've been actively, actively, actively working, but to no effect. But if you say so, okay. Here's what happens, verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them, and they, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to, to sink. This is a jackpot, once-in-a-lifetime catch. It takes two full boats to haul this thing in. This is going to be the talk of Fishtown. And if I, if I can get all these in and to shore and to market, woo, Peter is going to be able to buy that new donkey that he's been eyeing, I'm sure, for some time. You know, and you might think that Peter's response to something like this, to ask Jesus, after all this is kind of the, the everything's, uh, the dust is, has fallen down, he might say, all right, Jesus, where do we fish next? Or, or maybe something like, hey, Jesus, maybe you can come with us tomorrow. Or at least, Jesus, how did you know? How did you know to just do one more cast? But that's not what we hear from Peter. This is what we hear from him. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. That is, in that moment, Peter sees, clearer than he had before, who this Jesus really is, the Lord of the seas in front of him. And this Jesus is able to do far more than Peter had ever done, that the work that he's going to do to Peter, in Peter, is far greater than any work that's ever been done by Peter. And that whole experience just knocks Peter off his feet. The response from Jesus then is, don't be afraid, Peter. From now on, you'll be a fisher of men. The life that Jesus calls us to is far more than just get saved and go to heaven. Not to demean that. I'm glad for those things. Jesus does those things too and, and in us. But Jesus also calls us to do in part what he is doing. That is, that he would work through us so as I am transformed by Jesus, he is now going to make me part of transforming others. And that is a great gift that we don't want to waste. Don't waste it. What greater honor could there be than to climb into the boat with Jesus, the Lord of all and the Savior of sinners, and then to cast out our nets to bring others in too. Jesus will make us fishers of men, 
Let's follow him. Would you pray with me? Mm, Lord, we trust your word in this. Help us to be active and passive in these things, to put all of our energy that we can muster toward it, and yet to know that you are the one working in and through us for this. Holy Spirit, would you guide us as we seek to be narrow and broad, both now and later, to be wise in the way that we live here? We want that you would be known and followed and worshipped. Use us for these things, that you would be honored in all things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.